Would you join me in prayer before we dig into the word this morning? Father, we thank you for the lives that we have, even, even in the times of trouble, Father. We thank you that you've given us breath and you've given us life. And we just pray that as we, uh, as we enter into the word this morning, that you would help us to make that life honor you, Father. That it would be a life that is spirit-filled, Father. And God, I just uh, I pray right now for those of us who aren't well. Um, Father, I just pray that you would touch, touch their lives, their bodies, um, that you would lift them up and strengthen them, and that you would uh, bring them back to health nice and quickly, Father. And for those who are in the hospital, Father, I, I think of Gail and Lionel and um, others, Father, that you would just be with them, um, that they would know that they're not alone, that you're there with them, Father, and that you would touch their bodies, Father God, and that your will would be done through it. We don't, we don't always know what your plan is, but you know what? You've put people in certain places for certain situations um, and, and purposes, and, and we have to honor that. So I just pray that you would, you would use those people in those places right now, Father. So now as we enter into the word, just uh, would you fill my mouth, Father, and let this be from you. In your name, amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to continue on in Acts this morning. Um, oh, and yes, so no baby yet as far as I'm aware. Just people are going to be curious that I'm up here. Uh, they are on baby watch. So continue to pray for Pastor Nick and Sarah and their family as well. Um, that uh, once things do get moving, that it's all well and good. Um, but... Uh, Yes, so for the next couple of weeks, uh, I believe Pastor Velma and I are going to be doing some alternating and taking on, uh, continuing on uh, through the book of Acts. So this week we are going to be looking at some passages in Acts 13 and Acts 14. Um, it's kind of where we had uh, left off from last week. Um, and we're going to be talking about a spirit-led life. We're going to be talking about what that means, what that looks like, kind of the, uh, the examples left in Acts. Um, so, if you would turn with me, I really need something that's, like, handless because I am terrible at trying to open my Bible while holding a microphone, I have learned. All right, so in Acts 13, we're going to read verses 1 to 12, and we're going to jump to 14 and do 8 to 23. So it's a bit of a chunk there, but I will read through that this morning as I lose my bookmark. So Acts 13, 1 to 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Sin Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetra Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting 
and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So then we're going to jump to chapter 14, verses 8 to 23. Uh, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycanoian, sorry, some of these words are really hard. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of, the, of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they uh, stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, 
and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had been, or whom they had believed. So, in there, we, we, there, there's a lot in there, and we skipped a bunch, too. That's a big chunk that we had skipped. But there's some really, really good stuff in here. So, like I said, we're going to be talking about um, living a spirit-filled, spirit-led life. Um, and there's importance to being led by the Spirit in all that we do. Can we agree on that? That's, that's biblical. We've been given the Spirit to guide us. We see an example, uh, or a, a testimony of that from Paul, again, in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Spirit is our compass, essentially. It's, it's how we navigate our walk. We are to let the Spirit guide our walk. But it, it's all fine and dandy to say, oh yeah, we need to be Spirit-led. We need to live a Spirit-led life. But what is a Spirit-centered life? So we see some examples here. Uh, when we look at uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, we see that there was uh, a, a very spirit-led commissioning happening of Paul and Barnabas, right? So we see that the church leaders, um, they were worshiping, they were fasting, they were praying, they were spending time with God. And that's how we get to know what the Spirit wants. My youth would attest to this, that I am very much, I drill this into them. This is, I, I always talk about, how do we get to know God? If, if we want a, an intimate relationship with God, how do we get to know him? How do you get to know somebody, a, a friend of yours? How do you get to be best friends with somebody? You spend time with them. You have conversations with them. You get to know them. And we do that by reading the Bible, by worshiping, spending time in prayer, that kind of thing, right? So that's what the church leaders were doing here. And what's really good about this is it really sets the tone. It sets the tone for the, the church and how they are being led. How do we get ready for our day? When we get up in the morning, do we just get up and walk out the door and go to work? Well, actually, I have to say that there are some people that I know who do that. And that's okay, too. But for the most part, most of us, we get up in the morning... We get out of bed, we brush our teeth, we shower, we have breakfast, we do our devotions, we have a morning routine, right? And that helps us set the tone for our day. Now, if we start off the day with burned toast, shoveling three feet of snow, uh, and we're out of toothpaste, I don't know if I can speak for anybody else with this, but I know for me, as soon as something like that happens, my day is kind of off kilter because that is not my routine. That is not how I get ready for my day. It throw th throws things off. And if I get up and don't do anything in the morning, if I just get up and go, it's, it's not, yeah. 
Uh, anybody who has spent time with me knows that my brain doesn't work if I try to do that. So the spiritual practices of the church here are, are much the same as that, though. They were spending the time getting ready for God to understand what he was trying to tell them. And it really helps the church prepare themselves to be in that place of missions and sending people out. Sets the tone of how that's going to play out. So in verse 2, the, the end of verse 2, we see that they're discerning the Spirit, right? Their hearts and their minds are open to hear what God has to say, and they can feel that God is telling them that they need to send Paul and Barnabas out. And they don't hesitate with this. Because they have that close relationship with God, because they are spending that time in prayer and worship and fasting, they know that this is from God. So they don't hesitate with it. And when we live a spirit-centered life, we know to act when we're called. And now all of a sudden coming to mind, uh, was it Nehemiah who went back to rebuild the wall? Um, he, he spent time fasting and praying. And he knew that God was calling him to go and talk to the king, uh, the Persian king, Persian? Babylonian? I'm getting my stories confused here at the moment, but he went and talked to the king and said, hey, this needs to happen. And he went. He was allowed to because God was calling him, and he didn't hesitate to do it. We see lots of examples of that. So once they've discerned the call, and then after praying and seeking God further, they commission the workers. And we still do this today. We still do this here at this church today. We commission the workers. Part of that is laying hands on. It says that they, they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out. So we do that still here. And the most recent example I can think of is when Keith McEwen went off to do his ministry with Bonsleys. We commissioned that. We sent him out as a church. And our church, I remember 20 years ago, probably, approximately, I remember all kinds of prophecies from the likes of Ken Parker and Rick Park and talking about how we, our church was a training grounds. Our church was a church that was going to send people out. And over the years, we, we have. And so that's part of it, is laying on and praying for those people. It's an acknowledgement of the call on one's life to ministry. And it shows that we as a church or as leadership, we are backing that person's ministry. We are 100% behind them, and we're going to continue to pray for them. And it's a, it's a commitment that's not to be taken lightly either. If we say that we're going to pray for somebody and back them, we need to keep praying for them. We need to remember. And that's why we've got, like, the missions wall back there, right? We've got these missionaries that, yes, we support financially, but we also support in prayer. And that's a good reminder to have that wall there where we can see these are people that we are supporting in prayer. Now, I, I should clarify, can't really see it right now because we have chairs stacked in front of it. But it's still, it's still there so that we, we know who we are supporting because it's very easy for those people to get lost in the shuffle. And then if we're not continuing to support them in prayer, 
we're not really fulfilling our commitment to them. So that's important. That's the first thing. Spirit-led commissioning for missions. Sending people out. Verses 4 to 12, we start to see that Paul and Barnabas are, are led a little bit more. They've got some spirit-led teaching and some spirit-led confrontation of evil happening there, hey? So it's important that what we teach is grounded in the word, right? Central, central to everything. I, I already said, this is how we get to know God. This is how we get to be intimate with him. That's a big part of it. Everything that we teach needs to be grounded out of his word. But there's two ways to look at this. Yes, there's the Bible. But we also need to be grounded in the life of Christ. Jesus is the word, right? So we need to be grounded in the, the written word, and we need to be grounded in Jesus. So what we teach needs to be based on Jesus and his ministry. So we can see through verses 4 to 7 that they proclaimed the word of God, and it was led by the Spirit. They taught on the island of Cyprus, right? And they were, they were teaching in synagogues. So synagogues were not Christian churches. Synagogues were Jewish temples. Still are Jewish temples, I should say. Um, so these are people who don't necessarily believe in Jesus being the Son of God. They are of the Jewish faith, not the Christian faith. But they were in those places teaching. And by following the Spirit, they were led to an opportunity for something greater on the island of Cyprus. They were able to go before the proconsul. Now, the proconsul um, would be the, uh, the governor of a, a territory uh, of the Roman Empire. So that's what the proconsul is. It's kind of like uh, the, the premier of Ontario, in a way, I guess would be the easiest way of explaining that. But they had an opportunity to go before him because of their following the Spirit. It's amazing what kind of opportunities come up when we are seeking God, when we are seeking the Spirit and listening to what he's trying to tell us. Because right there, he got to talk to the most important person on Cyprus. Paul and Barnabas were able to do that. And the Old Testament is filled with all kinds of of these examples. Abraham, I mean, he followed wherever God told him to go. He even was willing to sacrifice his son because God told him to. And then God blessed him because of it, right? We look at Esther, the story of Esther. We look at Daniel, people who follow what the Spirit is leading them to do. There are big things that happen because of it. There's a lot of examples also, though, of people who didn't follow what God wanted, didn't follow the lead of the Spirit. One of them is Jonah. Yes, he ended up doing it very begrudgingly in the end, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to do what God was calling him to do. And then when he did it, 
and it turned out the way that God said it would, he pouted about it because it's not what he wanted. We can also see that in Israel entering the promised land, right? God said, go, go for it. But instead, they sent out the 12 spies. 10 came back and said, uh, it's too scary. We can't do that. There's giants and there's all these other things. We can't do that. When we look at the examples of those who didn't follow what the Spirit was leading, they end up not being blessed. They end up not getting to partake of what God has for them. But, of course, even when we do follow the lead of the Spirit, we might encounter obstacles. Paul and Barnabas encountered this. Verses 8 to 12. And again, the Spirit is actually involved in this. Because Paul discerns that this is an act of the enemy. When uh, Bar-Jesus, when the, the magician is there saying, nope, can't listen to these guys. Paul understands, because the Spirit is filling him, that this is an act of the enemy. He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And Paul talks about calling out sin again in, in Ephesians 5.11. He talks about not letting sin stand, but actually calling out the darkness, right? So now notice that the Spirit fills Paul and he's able to see this through, uh, see this and call it out. And then he's able to take action because of the Spirit as well. The Spirit causes this man to go blind. It's, he, he essentially works a, a miracle, but kind of the reverse Jesus miracle, and makes the man go blind as a testimony to the power of the Spirit. Their teaching had the gospel at the center. And so even when they were in the midst of the evil, they were protected and they were, they were covered by the Spirit. The Spirit had their back, essentially. So the gospel needs to be at the center. And it, it, it's so important because that's, that's how we know that it's grounded in the Spirit. But we, we also have to be aware that the message of the gospel is so powerful that the enemy is going to throw whatever he can at it to stop it. Right? He's going to throw whatever he can in the way. He's going to throw up obstacles and roadblocks and whatever he needs to, to try to, to stop the gospel message from getting out there. But that doesn't mean that we should let it deter us. We need to keep fighting through it. And when we look at verses 11 and 12 we see that the Spirit moved in such a powerful way that even the proconsul, the leader in that area, believed. Right? They had an opportunity to do something great because they followed, and there were great things happening because of that. And then it continues on, and now you've got a leader who, who believes. And the influence and the weight that, they, that the leader would carry... Well, that just helps further the gospel along. 
When we let the Spirit lead, we can overcome any obstacle in our path. We also need to be uh, uh, or have in a Spirit-led life, Spirit-led compassion. I love compassion. It's wonderful stuff. If we jump to ver- uh, chapter 14, verses 8 to 10, we can see that Paul and Barnabas are continuing to be led by the Spirit on the journey. They keep traveling around. They, they end up in a lot of places in a, throughout this two chapters. They go all over. They do a lot of traveling, and it's really great. And they're going where the Spirit leads them. Now, during a, a visit to Lystra, Paul notices a crippled man who's engaged in the gospel message. He's hearing what Paul is, is, is relaying. And that's, that's the thing. That's something that we miss sometimes is that the, the gospel message is so powerful that, yeah, people are going to listen. Not everybody's going to listen. You're going to have some people walking by and saying, hey, you're crazy. But there are going to be those that need to hear it. And this was one of them. He was engaged in the gospel message. Now, I want to take just a moment to note that Paul seems to... Um, Paul seems to have a bit of a staring problem because here again it says that he stared intently at him. And I feel like just about every time we read staring intently, we can assume at this point that the the Spirit is working through Paul because he stared intently at this man and commands him to get up. That's all. He just commands him to get up. This mirrors Jesus' ministry. That kind of goes back to the teaching, right? We, we ground our teaching in the life of Christ. We have to ground the way that we love others in the life of Christ, right? That is the ultimate example of how we love people and how we show compassion to people. So Paul is, is literally mirroring this by telling a, a, a man who can't walk to get up. And he does. He just gets up. One of these days, I, I hope that I can make that happen. But letting the Spirit lead our efforts of compassion means looking, again, at the life of Christ and, and what we are doing to emulate his ministry. It takes discernment, and it might be uncomfortable sometimes. Because, let's be honest, when we look at Jesus' ministry, he went into a lot of uncomfortable places and talked to a lot of uncomfortable people. And had some really uncomfortable arguments with people, too. But we're told that we need to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. Right? So the majority, and and let me remind you that, that comes from Jesus himself. The majority of Jesus' ministry really did revolve around this caring for others. He ate with people. He ministered to people. He performed miracles on people. He taught people. We're supposed to show compassion the same way that Jesus did and would. Regardless of how uncomfortable it might be. Luke goes on to tell us in Acts about... um, the response to this miracle that the Spirit worked. Um, 
in Lystra. And it's actually, I've never focused on this portion too much before, but it was, it was really, really important as I was reading through this. It stuck out. Um, when we look at verses 11 to 18, it's kind of actually unsettling how the people around them viewed this. But when we, when we kind of put the, the worldview filter on that, oh yeah, this was in ancient Rome where they had all these different deities and they weren't familiar with God uh, and Jesus besides what Paul and Barnabas so far had been spreading and maybe the, the hearsay that they've heard as people are traveling, right? Um, but this miraculous healing drew some attention and so this next section shows us that we need to um, have spirit-led resistance to fame and idolatry. Because it's very, very easy, and I'll get into that a little bit more, but it's very easy, even for those who are in ministry, to let what they are doing, the fame of what they are doing, go to your head. Um, that it's all about me and I'm saving these people. I'm bringing these people to Christ. That kind of stuff. And that, that gets very dangerous. But it drew some attention, as ministry should. And they were being praised for it as gods. Paul and Barnabas were being praised as gods. Zeus and Hermes. And really, when I, when I read that, I'm like, well... Yeah, how, how good does it feel to hear words of affirmation? When, when, you're, when you're doing your job, how good does it feel to hear, you're amazing at what you do? It feels great. And there's nothing wrong with having those words of affirmation spoken to you, but we can sometimes get to a point where that's what we start living for. As a people pleaser... That is, that is something that could easily happen. I'm a people pleaser. Um, I hate attention. I really, really hate attention. And preaching has luckily gotten easier for me. But I, I don't like having eyes on me. I don't like being the focus of attention. But I am a people pleaser. So it does feel great when somebody tells you you're doing a good job. But it can easily become what we are living for. And it becomes what, we're, what drives us forward to continue doing what we're doing. But like I said, it can be dangerous because we can start to idolize that high feeling that we get when we hear those words of affirmation. It can begin to replace our identity in Christ. And ultimately, that's not okay. Because our identity is in Christ alone. So being spirit-filled, Paul and Barnabas were able to be guarded against this. They responded in godly wisdom by giving the glory to God for what had happened. And we see that in verses 15 to 17. And they don't let the temptation of fame and praise get the best of them. Again, this whole journey was led by the Spirit. They were doing what God was calling them to do, and they understood that. They had leaders behind them praying for them as their ministry continued. That helps to, to keep the spirit leading and to guard against that. 
So they don't let the temptation get, a, get the best of them. Instead, they use it to further the message of the gospel to those that they have been sent to. It would be so easy to take the credit, like I said, and move on from there. Yeah, yeah, you know what? We, uh, we, we've got uh, all these kids coming out to youth, and they're all saved, and yeah, I'm doing a great job. I'm, uh, I'm you know, doing everything that I can to really get the numbers up. No, that's not what we do. We always need to be vigilant. <coughs> Excuse me a moment. We always need to be vigilant. And remember that God chooses to use us. Our worth is, in, is found in Christ alone. The fruit of our work is amazing to see. Honestly, it is like it, when, when you're working in ministry, it's, it's just huge. Like you, you, you feel like you're actually doing something for the world. And, and it, it's amazing. But it's not possible without God. If we go into it for ourselves and think that we're doing it all, yeah, we're not going to get anywhere. The ministry is not about us. And when we commit ourselves to doing the work of Christ, we need to rely on the Spirit to not let the praises get to our head. All the work done through us is for, and this comes from Ephesians 1.6, the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It's for God. Now, something to note, something important to note is that, yes, like I said, it's important, and I think I've made the case that it's important to live a spirit-led life, and we kind of know what that looks like. But there can also be consequences for living a spirit-led life. And we see that in verses uh, 14 to 19. I feel like I mistyped that. But anyway, um, following the Spirit doesn't mean that life is always going to be rainbows and butterflies and fluffy kittens. And we've talked about that in the past, right? That just following God doesn't mean that it's always going to be good. There's going to be dark patches. When God is driving the bus, the enemy will be working overtime to force it off the road. And in the past, yeah, Pastor Nick has taught about persecution being something that Christians do endure. And I'll say it again, the enemy wants to stop God's plan from moving forward. And we see him trying to do this in Paul's story, in verse 19. In verse 19, we look at it, and Paul is dragged out of the city and stoned. So it doesn't always mean that we're going to be physically assaulted for following God. We can be mocked and scorned and everything else. But there is going to be things, there are going to be things that are, are being used to try to stop us from achieving God's goals, ultimately. When we live a spirit-led life, there are times when we will be beaten down. It happens. And we may not see it physically here in Canada, but there are places in the world where 
They are physically being beaten down. There's places still where it's dangerous to be a Christian. But we will, each and every one of us likely will, be beaten down at one time or another. Like I said, it might not be physical, but it might be emotional, mental. The enemy is a tricky devil. He likes to use psychological warfare and get into our heads. And he'll use anyone he can to worm his way into any cracks that are there to beat us down. And that's where being spirit-led and putting on the armor from Ephesians, right? Making sure that we are steadfast in God's word is so important. But we also need to remember that our worth is in Christ alone. Nobody else. Not what other people think, say, or the way that they treat us. It's in Christ alone. So as long as our lives are spirit-led and grounded in the word, the enemy can't keep us down. The spirit protected Paul. I mean, I can't imagine too many people survive stonings very often. I, it probably happened, but mm, mm, that's, that's not really, I can't imagine it being a common thing. So the Spirit protected Paul so that he could get up and continue on. Because he was doing the work of God, he was protected even though there was danger. When we do, when we follow the lead of the Spirit, God protects us. So how can we apply this to our lives today? Well, most of us aren't uh, traveling the world proclaiming the gospel. Some of us do. Um, but not all of us are called to mission work, right? We're still called to live a life that's spirit-led, though. But, so based on, on Paul and Barnabas' ministry, I do have four things that we can do to live spirit-led lives today. We need to spend time seeking God and his will for our lives and the ministries that we're to be involved in. God will give us direction, and we need to trust the vision that he has imparted to us and back it with prayer. Right? It's so important that we spend time getting to know the will of Jesus, the will of God, the will of the Spirit, all the same person. We need to understand what that will is, and that's partially by getting to know him and what he's already done for us, but spending time in prayer and asking, what do you want from me? What next? We also need to be intimate with the word, both written and the personified word, right? That's the second thing. It's going to help us teach the gospel to those who need to hear it and be able to identify and confront the work of the enemy. And part of that, I think, we'll be talking about in a few weeks, too, when Paul starts to um, essentially practice apologetics, and he starts to argue his faith um, in Rome. Um, so that's really important, too, is being grounded in this and, and, and knowing it well so that we can proclaim the gospel. 
The third thing is that we need to live out our lives in the same way that Christ did. Again, we know that by being well-grounded in the word, right? If we know how Jesus lived, we can live like that better. But we can't do that if we're not reading about his ministry. We can't cherry-pick either. We can't just pick the things that are comfortable for us or that make us feel good. Oh, I'm going to do this, but not this. That part, I don't like that part. And I've had conversations with people who said, well, I believe this part, but not this part. Well, no, it's, it's God's word. It's the Bible. This is, I mean, how can you say that, yeah, okay, you believe in forgiveness, but not forgiving over and over again. When Jesus said the same, he said, yeah, you have to forgive, and you have to forgive seven times 70. Seven, seven times 70? I'm misquoting that, I think, but you know what I'm saying. It means showing uh, compassion to those who need it the most, and sometimes at a cost to ourselves. The fourth thing is that we need to be guarded against the temptation to claim God's work as our own or place those fuzzy feelings that we get from that praise on a podium. When we're grounded in Christ, we can give that to God. We give that glory to God for the work that he has done through us. And it's so important for our witness that we do that. Because as soon as we start glorifying ourselves, that tells the world that, uh, yeah, they're just like everybody else. So it's so important that we don't put those fuzzy feelings from the work that we are doing for God on a pedestal. It's God doing the work through us, and he gets the glory for that. So in the end, we end up with two choices. We can try to lead our own lives as flawed and unstable humans, or we can live the spirit-led, or, or sorry, we can let the spirit lead and trust that he knows what he is doing better than we do. I'm going to close in prayer before, uh, before we send you off this week. Mm. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've set an example for us, that you've given us these disciples, these apostles, Father, that led the way ahead of us to show us what living for you looks like. And Father God, as we enter into our week, as we encounter all kinds of things, Father, I just pray that each and every one of us who are here or at home listening to this or listening later this week, Father, that you would help us to open up our hearts and our lives to be led by the Spirit, Father, that we would let you take control and guide us. Even if that means doing something that isn't the most comfortable thing in the world, Father. We see by the examples that you have set that big things come when we do what you ask. And I just pray that you would cause big things to happen in Dryden and the, the communities for anybody listening to this, Father, when we listen to you and follow your lead. 
that you would show your power, Father. And I just, I, I pray that, that you would use each and every person to the glory of your name. That we would all be a powerful witness for you, Father. And that we'd break down those barriers that exist. So God, as we go throughout the week, just lead us. That's all we ask. It's simple, lead us. And I pray that you would encourage each one here to spend more time with you. Our lives are busy, but we we need you. So we need to make time for you, Father. We need to be praying. We need to be reading your word. And Father, I just pray that you would help us commit to that. So Father, bless each one who's here or listening at home. And I just pray that you'd protect us in this time of illness, Father, with everything going around right now, just protection over everybody. So bless each one this week, Father. In your name, amen.